It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. And I love Fridays because, well, there's a lot of reasons I love Fridays. But one of the things I love the most about Fridays is Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. That means we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. And you can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Brian, we got to meet with a bunch of farmers this morning, and a lot of of current things going on in fields, insects, diseases, uh, prevent plant acres that the guys are struggling with what to do. I, I didn't even know where to start. There's just all kinds of stuff. Yep, there sure is. Uh, So I I would just say the most common questions we've been getting lately around here have really been the prevent plant side. And one of the things we talked about today is fallow syndrome. If you have some ground that you're going to keep black for several months going into this next season, we have a lot of concerns about that. We have just seen with fallow syndrome 30 to 50 bushel losses on corn. That's very common. And the reason why it happens is because right away you might think, what, fallow? I thought fallow was a good thing. No, no, fallow is not a good thing. The reason why is because if you don't have a home for beneficial soil microbes, they die off, especially like mycorrhiza fungi, for example. And then you might think you have enough fertility out there, but all of a sudden the fertility isn't showing up in your crop because one of the things that beneficial microbes will do is help make certain nutrients available and actually even bring them right to your plant. So I, I just really encourage you, if you've had a prevent plant situation or even some drowned out acres this year and it's black and you're keeping it black, rethink that. Put some cover crop in right now or don't plant corn next year. You can plant soybeans. You usually won't take as big a yield hit. So just have something growing out there yet this fall and a lot of those problems will go away. All right. You know, another thing, Brian, I, there's been some interesting interesting weeds that we've seen. One has been cattails. I had a grower that I was chatting with here just a little bit ago, and he said, all right, I've heard you guys talk about cattails in the past. And he said, what are you seeing on, on cattails this summer? Uh, is it any different where they haven't been established in their first year just getting started versus the areas where they've been there for a long time? Well, they're just going to be a little bit easier to control. You know, it's like any other perennial weed that's out there. If it's in its first season, usually not as tall, not as vigorous, not as aggressive. It doesn't have as big a root system. So you can go out there and hit it with a herbicide, and a lot of times you'll have better success in the first season. But I would just tell you, you want to run with a very high rate of Roundup and a very low rate of water. Having a concentrated droplet is a big key when it comes to controlling weeds like cattails, nutsedge, all these weeds that have very waxy leaf coatings. That's the direction we got to go. Concentrated droplets. That means lots of Roundup, very little water. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. First question from Dave. He said, I heard on your radio show earlier this week on Monday about an acid that you're putting on pasture and silage corn to get better growth. I was driving. I didn't get the name of the product. Wondering if you could let me know what it is. Gibberellic acid. So the product we happened to mention, and there are several of them, but we were just talking about Rise Up Smart Grass from Valent. With that gibberellic acid, what happens is it basically means you're going to have more stem elongation. 
And normally when the weather is warm, the plant will naturally produce this. So no big, no big deal. You don't need to add it. You don't want to add it. It's going to be a waste of money. But when it's in the early spring or let's say late in the fall and the daytime temperatures are in the 50s, maybe the 60s, well, the plant just won't produce as much gibberellic acid. The plant won't get as tall. You won't have as much tonnage. So the people that are using it are people who are raising silage corn and they plant early in the spring, then they spray gibberellic acid on pastures. That's a no-brainer. Spray it in the spring, spray it in the fall, and then you will get more tonnage. So any crop where you need more tonnage, that's usually where we're we're talking gibberellic acid. Thanks for the question, Dave. Get one from Conrado. Uh, isn't it necessary to put some kind of cover over your tile lines to not obstruct the pipe along the way? Uh Think you think of covering it up like putting a blanket over the top. You say the water comes up from the bottom to fill these tile lines. Yep. Uh, can dirt and so forth obstruct those lines along the way? Sure, absolutely. I, one of the things when we first started doing our own tiling at our farm that my, our dad told us is tile lines will always eventually fill in. That's just the way it is. Now, I, I would say this, though. If you have enough slope, a lot of times any dirt that gets in there can get self-cleaned with the water that flushes through, but you'd have to have a fair amount of slope to do that, and there are charts that will tell you that. But anyway, in terms of protecting that tile line, it's most important if you've got fine sand or silt. If you have fine sand or silt, that's usually where we talk about narrow slot tile or there is what we would call a sock that you can put around the tile. Obviously, it adds some cost, but that is a way to protect that tile so you don't have so much of those tiny little particles getting in there and eventually plugging up your line. Thanks for the question. Uh, get one from Julia who commented on, we were talking about preventing combine fires. Julia says, a leaf blower works great. Just wear a dust mask and stay upwind. Absolutely. Good tip, Julia. Yeah, if you, uh, if you get the oil and grease off so it's just dusty, dirty stuff, it's much easier. You're right. You can just blow it off. I got one from Mary Lou who said we were talking about injecting manure. Just wondering, will an injection system still work well in clay soils? Yeah, absolutely. We have clay soils and we do that all the time. I, I would say this though, you have to look at your soil. So I, I think where you're going with this is if it's if it stays too wet, then it's a problem. If it stays too wet, you probably need some tile out there. Also, take a look at what's your calcium content. When you have excess magnesium, for example, then your soil, and you'll call it a heavy clay soil, it will remain too tight and there will be poor drainage. You'll have compaction, all these issues, and it is harder to go out there and do a good job without smearing everything. So if you just get a good level of calcium compared to magnesium, keep that magnesium down well below 20% base saturation magnesium, and usually that works out pretty well. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. You can join the conversation at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding agro liquid fertilizer to post emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the end season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. 
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. Taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. We'd love to hear how things are going on your farm or help you with any agronomic question you might have. 844-44-AG-PHD is the way to get in touch. Got Harold with us right now out in Indiana. Harold, how are you doing? Yep, are you there, Harold? Yeah, I'm right here. My question was, uh, years uh, you were talking about the different cover crops. Okay, years ago we used to do, or, uh, do a plow down get our nitrogen and help our soils to, uh, instead of the wheat kill, we even used to use, besides clover and alfalfa, we also would use soybeans. Did they ever have a study about how much value the soybean is to plow it down while it's green? Ah, I, I'm sure the there have been, year. Harold. Yeah, we, we haven't, uh, I guess we haven't done a lot of research into that just because yeah. we, we haven't been doing that here. But, uh, yeah, I, I can well, imagine I that would be a good thing. Like you guys. What would you say? Yeah, I have I have a lot of clay soils also. Just not for, uh, for my area wise of it, but we used to go ahead and plow down soybeans when soybeans were cheap. And uh, I don't ever hear you say how much the cost of uh, the uh, uh, cover crop was for winter. But during the uh, during the sixties and fifties, you'd plow down uh, uh, soybeans to get yourself to, you know so it boom like any other, and it produces quite a bit of nitrogen. But I don't know if they have a a chart or study of how much it costs for all the different, you know, your wild oats or your cereal oats and rye or anything else. But if the price of soybeans go much farther, a guy could go ahead and plow down and uh, use that for, uh, it, it works good as yeah. a legume for uh, the next year for corn. Yeah, you're right. You think about uh, the cost of bin run soybeans or something for a plow down cover crop. Uh, it would yeah. be pretty inexpensive. And, you know, it's interesting, too. Uh, I remember talking with Kip Cullors on the show one time, and he talked about the first uh, first time he actually harvested soybeans. He he was planning on just tilling it under, like you say. And and uh, <laughs> yeah, somebody looked at him and said, man, you got a lot of pods on there. You might want to harvest that instead. So, 
Yeah, how uh, how are yeah. things looking on your farm right now, Harold? Are you getting enough heat to, uh, to push things along? I, I look, my soybeans. Uh, I couldn't plant any corn, but my soybeans are just beautiful looking. They're all potted. They'll make it. They'll, yep. they'll make it for sure. Yep. I had a little trouble. With, I've got the uh, uh, weed spray wise. I did Liberty, but uh, I have spots. I still have to have a third spraying because these weeds this much uh, moisture they still escape no matter what a little bit yeah you're I don't right know if i should waste my money waste my money with spraying the, the third and final time for just spotting or just go ahead and do it because i want to see something clean yeah yeah I, both ways. I don't know about it costing us yield at this point this late in the season it'd be more of just trying to keep weed seed down and honestly with our beans all potted up like this i worry about yeah. stressing those beans and aborting any pods other than hand walking well, i don't think we'd be doing much of no, yeah and, and i already did that when i volunteered <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the other problem is just how late are these herbicides labeled to use so we've we got to be a little bit yeah. careful about some of the the rules out there the pre-harvest corn again <laughs> yep exactly and even like the soybeans as a cover crop thing you know we used to do a lot of that and now uh bear does not want us doing soybeans as a cover crop unless we're going to pay them tech fee money oh. in effect yeah, so we got right, yep so sign up for everything yep that's right so if yeah i'll be going against my contract that i signed to them right so if we've got yeah. a uh, a traded soybean so if it's a conventional soybean that's completely unprotected and that's the next thing guys will say well i'm raising conventional beans uh even that the variety may be protected by a patent so we got to be a little bit that's careful right. about what we do with some of these things so i'm glad you reminded me of that <laughs> no i won't do it <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend of mine that had a dairy farm, and he had, uh, uh, well, he had the bad corn for one thing, Timberella. Then he also had his mark for so uh, milk went out, so he decided to take his milk and spray his milk onto his fields as just, just to dump it. Yep. And he said it ended up the next year, and it actually helped. Yeah, there are a lot of things that can be done out there that could have benefit because we've got nutrients that are going out there, things that could be good for the crop. Even like with cover crops, there are a lot of good things with cover crops. It's just like I was yeah. saying, got to be a little bit careful about what we put out and when we put it out. Well, hey, Harold, thanks a lot oh, for calling right. in today. Appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Let's head out to California. we got Steve with us right now. Steve, how's it going in California? Oh, not too bad. How's it, how's it back there? Well, we're finally starting to dry out enough <laughs> that we can cut out in our fields without getting all muddy. It was amazing to me this morning. I, I put on my uh, my shoes that I usually use out in the field, and uh, the mud was dried up on them for once. It was like, wow, I don't know what I'm going to do here. How, how about for you? It doesn't happen with us very often. Uh, it's just getting warm. I think it's supposed to be 104 today, and we're harvesting lettuce seed today and this week and next week, and... Uh, planted spinach uh tuesday so we're back back growing again and harvesting harvesting seed crops okay so when you get extremely hot like that and so often hot and dry paired together what do you do with some of these specialty crops to try to help them tolerate that kind of weather well a lot of the fields we have if, if it is a if it's a heat issue we solid set with sprinkler pipe and run it often we'll run it in the heat of the day just to cool the field not necessarily for the irrigation just to get the evaporation to, to cool the field um that's really all we can do 
we do use on some of the tomatoes, onions, those things. We do use an anti uh, anti stress and a a whitewash to to keep the uh, the fruit from burning. And I know the walnut guys around us do that as well and, and uh, keep the fruit from burning. They just put kind of a whitewash on it. Yeah, for us, you know, raising corn, we've got a husk around the outside of of the ear, so we've got some protection from the sun bleaching and and damage that we can get. But, uh, but yeah, with some of, some of the crops that you're raising, when you've got actual food that people are going to buy, it's got to look awesome on the outside too. So it's just it's always interesting for me to kind of learn a little more. Well, and that's in our area. You know, we grow we grow carrots. I, I grow carrots for some of the big shippers and and. Uh, Certain, you know, if it's for the consumer, it's going to the grocery store. They're really you're growing a top. I mean, they want to see a good green top. We can grow beautiful carrot in the middle of summer in the valley, except our tops are ugly because they're burned and, and and fringe burned and everything, which is okay for processing. But we can't grow carrots for a fresh market in the San Joaquin Valley in summertime because our our tops aren't green. Beautiful carrot, but it's just a it's just a look. The consumer wants to see a nice they're gonna throw the top away anyways, but they want to see a nice green top. Sure, sure. What well, what was the sweet corn like in your area this year? Was it a good crop? You know, I I didn't grow sweet corn this year, but the ones that, that guys that are around me, uh they had a hard time filling to the tip. It was I saw a lot of small short ears this year, and, and but we had a real cool early summer. You know, we didn't get to 100 degrees till after July. Usually, we hit 100 in May. So it's been a it's been a pretty mellow summer for us, and uh, and they just they they really struggled to get the get the the uh, corn all the way out to the tip to get it to fill. Huh, tell me about it. We're fighting with the same thing here. Although it's not, it's, it's been cool, but it's just been so wet for us too, that that's been a real challenge. How, how about on these greens that you're growing? Like you talked about planting spinach right now in the middle of August. When do you expect to harvest that? And, and how many crops do you get from one seeding? Is it one crop that you just keep taking stuff from? Well, this particular spinach we planted we plant earlier than our fresh market. This is a, a processing spinach, a freezer spinach. It's organic, organic freezer spinach. Okay. So we'll grow that. We plant it today or this week, and then we're shooting for October first harvest. We'll give it another about twenty eight days and come back and harvest it again first of November, and then we'll take that crop out, plant again in late the about right about Christmas. We're often out there on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas. Uh, planting and that'll harvest the very last week of of uh of march and then we get another harvest at about 21 days in april and if it's real mellow summer or a springtime we can get another one in early may um now we'll start planting the spring mix and those lettuces and things here in the middle of, of september that will harvest about october 1st and that will be watered back and harvested again we can harvest off and on some of the crops if your weed control is good and the crop is, you know, the weather's weather's permitting, you can get up to three three harvests wow. and uh, get it get it finished before Christmas. Yeah, we talk about uh, wanting to grow more crops here. You're just never stopping in California. Hey, Steve, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. 
Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your bean crop everything it needs to get the job done this season. Adding Agro Liquid Fertilizer to post-emerge spraying passes provides your soybeans with the nutrients needed when the plant reaches the reproductive stage. Foliar feeding soybeans can provide the in-season edge you need to economically and efficiently boost yield potential. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your soybeans. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grazon Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Grazon Next. Always read and follow label directions. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Really good to hear how things are going out in Indiana and out in California right now. Boy, it sounds sounds really busy in California, harvesting one crop, planting the next, and uh, just a never-ending cycle. Uh, let's head down to Kansas right now. We've got Adam with us. Adam, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. We finally, finally were able to get a rain this last weekend. Um, we had, we had, we were hoping the rain would quit at the end of July when we were trying to finish up wheat harvest. And on July 3rd, we got our last rain and it just turned off and then got super hot. So we went from way too wet to way too dry plenty fast but we got some rain again now so we're feeling a little bit better about that yeah, it's amazing how the extremes just go from one end to the next and i know it seems like about every area we talk to they say ah oh, if you don't like the weather today just wait tomorrow could be totally different and with all the prayers you guys put up for please stop the rain stop the rain uh, <laughs> i'm afraid uh, you had a lot of a lot of those uh, stop the rains yet to come yeah we're uh 
we are it it got a little came a little too late for a lot of the dry land corn um then our irrigated corn it got planted late and i mean it's going to be okay it's not going to be super great um but the rains came in time i think we still have a chance on the soybeans and our milo's looking pretty good right now that's actually today we're, we're spraying a biological uh for headworm control on our sorghum that's what we're doing today actually interesting yeah there's been a lot of those uh uh, late season bugs, opportunistic bugs at the end of the season coming in. I was just looking at one of our fields uh, last night. I was surprised to see that we had a few of those out there. Have you done that in the past? How has that worked for you? Um, yeah, I used it last year. The product is actually called Helgen, um, and we had really good luck with it. Uh, it's a little different than uh, what most guys are used to on uh, chemical control of, of an insect. Um, where we're at, we have, uh, we have pyrethroid-resistant headworms and, and podworms, so we didn't have really a good option for control other than, uh, oh, it's uh, wormicides. I'm not thinking Lors, of it right Lors now. Band, but I mean, probably. Uh, yep. Not Lors band. No, it, it, was, it was an actual wormicide, so it only killed, it left the beneficials alive, but oh, it gotcha. cost about $20 an acre. Oh, wow. And, and the selogen is a pretty cheap option. Um, as long as you can get out there before the worms are under uh, a half inch long, and then they'll they'll become infected with this virus, and then they'll just kind of keep that virus propagating within the field, and um, have pretty good control. It it works really well on on sorghum. We might try it on soybeans this year. I think soybean is a little bit more of a challenge because you have to get the product down into the canopy where the 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 worm or the pod worms are eating it, and so I think that's maybe more of a challenge. But on sorghum, it works really well, or hey, has worked really well. Talk us. about talk about the sorghum just a little bit. You said uh, Milo is looking pretty good on your farm. Uh, overall, how did Milo handle this kind of year that you had when you were so wet so early? Well, we typically plant our sorghum late, and so we where we're at in Kansas, we either get rains early or we get rains late. And so historically, guys would plant early Milo. They'd stop for in the last two weeks of May, then they would start again and have late Milo. And hopefully if you had early range or early Milo would be okay. If you had late range or late Milo would be okay. Well, as uh, dryland corn has really kind of took off in our area of central Kansas, um, you know, guys have, they've, they've went to planting corn and a lot of guys have disbanded sorghum. And so in a year like this, yeah, we had our, we, we got our Milo in, or our corn in and then it got super hot and it just burned up. Um, and the sorghum we were able to plant this year late, it, you know, sorghum will just kind of stall out when it gets really hot and dried and wait for a rain. And that's, that's what ours did. I mean, we were, we were getting, I was not feeling very confident in our sorghum crop at all until we got this rain this last weekend. And then all of a sudden all the fields are headed out now and are actually looking pretty good. I mean, it still had a lot of stress where the odds of having this a bumper crop, um, aren't, aren't, aren't the greatest. But in terms of out yielding or dryland corn, um, I would say that's probably going to happen. But you know, the, we're cooling off now, and we get some of these late rains, depending on the maturity of corn or when it got planted, it might be okay. Yep, yep. Well, hoping those rains uh, keep up here for you, Adam, to get things back on track. But good to hear, uh, good to hear, soybeans and and Milo doing pretty well down in Kansas right now. Hey, Adam, thank you so much. Really appreciate the call. Good talking to you again, and good luck here the rest of the way. 
All right. Thank you. See you. you. You bet. I got John with us right now in Michigan, and uh, we got some soil samples handed to us here, John. I understand these are for, from you. Yes, they are. Yep. Um, probably the poorest far, poorest field on the home farm, and I'll give you one guess of where it's at. The farthest away from the barns from where everything <laughs> where all the livestock and everything are. Ah, so I see your ancestors were probably uh, operating about the same way ours were, that they hauled the manure close to home. Uh, typically, typically, yes. So, yep. so, what, so on this ground, what crops do you want to raise? Um, this is primarily a corn be- bean rotation Okay. on this, corn beans and wheat. Um. So we do, we are, we run some livestock, uh, we finish out cattle, uh, we fare to finish some hogs, um, we run a few lambs as well, so uh, we do raise some alfalfa too, and a little bit of oats for feed. So primarily where that is, that's, that's usually either silage corn or uh, soybeans on that primarily, and we run some wheat in for some rotation and and such. Okay, so what's your main question with the soil test? Do you just want a general, just some general things, or what are you looking for specifically? So I've got a pro- problem area there. There's kind of a, we're generally heavy clay ground. That field has a little bit of a sand bar that runs kind of kitty corner through it. Okay. Those samples are on half acre grids. Okay. Um, when those were taken. Yep. Um, so there's 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 some real spots in there that just fall flat on their face. And I've looked at it. I've played with some of the uh, software that I've got, and just never really been able to come up with a good recommendation to try and come up with where my shortcomings are. Okay. Nothing really jumps out on me that, hey, this is the problem in the in these areas with it. Okay, so I, I got a few things for you here. First of all, I agree, I can and I can see this when you talk about these little sand veins that run through there. When it comes to cation exchange capacity, that's going to tell us the overall holding capacity of the soil. And I see you've got one spot as low as a 6.9. Your average in the field's probably in that 18 to 20 range. So I'm very familiar with this because we have some of the exact same thing going on in our farm. I will tell you, obviously, you can't fix sand. So if it's not irrigated, the best you can do is just have good fertility levels out there. So hopefully the crop is going to need less total moisture. And in those particular spots, um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that exceptionally jumps out at me uh, just right off the bat. But I will tell you there are a number of little things that I would want you to take a look at. So just overall, when I look at all the samples that you sent, there's a lot of variability. And you've got some areas where the pH is perfect. 6.3 to 6.8 is kind of the ideal for corn, soybeans, and wheat. But you got a little bit that's low, but mainly it's more on the high side. And so, for example, you need more sulfur. You're really low on sulfur. And so I would be putting some elemental sulfur out as my form on most of your ground instead of sulfate sulfur because the elemental will convert over to sulfate. And when it does, that'll help drop your pH just a little bit. So that's one of the things. I also look at boron's low. Zinc in relation to phosphorus is a little bit on the low side. Uh, The organic matter, I was going to ask you, are you doing a lot of tillage here? Because you've got a lot of areas where even with heavy, heavy ground, the organic matter 
are still in the one to two percent range. Um, that field is very shallow clay tile. Like yep. I've rolled clay tile out with a moldboard plow on that field, so most of that is no-till. Okay. Or if we, we do have to go in, it's it's as minimal as what we can. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I assumed you were probably go, trying to go to no-till or minimum-till because it needs to get built up if you can on that organic matter, and that'd be good. And then the other thing is just the base saturation K levels are pretty low. Even though there uh, there are quite a few pounds per acre, there just isn't enough in ratio with everything else. So you're down in the kind of 2% range on base saturation K to 3%. We'd like to see that in the 4 to 6% range or 4 to 8 Well, stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, being able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. 
Right before the break, we were talking to John from up in Michigan about his soil tests. And John, I kind of gave you just a quick run through there of some of the things that I'm looking at. I always look at pH first. Then after that, I start looking at things like organic matter. And yep, just like you're talking about, you're going to some no-till, reduced till. That's hopefully over time, and it'll take it'll take time, but hopefully that'll build your organic matter. That'll make your ground better and yields better and everything, especially in the areas where you've got some of that really light soil. Um, I, I mentioned the base saturation K. That's a really huge deal. We find potassium to be super limiting in a lot of fields, even like in yours. Potassium, uh, it, potassium is certainly an issue out there. Now, one last thing that I'll throw out to you. In your very light ground, okay, so like where I'm looking at a 6.9 cation exchange capacity, you only have 10.9% magnesium, you, uh, and it translates to 180 pounds of magnesium in your soil. You could, you could work on boosting that magnesium just a little bit more, and like in, in that area, if you get just a little bit more magnesium, you'll have a little more holding capacity for water. So it's not this enormous deal, but I'm just saying if you continue to fertilize with potassium out there, you can maybe use some K-Mag or something like that. So you get a little bit of magnesium out there too, because I'm going to guess magnesium could be a little bit limiting for you in that area as well. But otherwise, yeah, it's just uh, it's potassium and a lot of micronutrients and, and some sulfur the way it looks to me. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the, your input on that. Um, I got a question on this. I know sure. you guys have dealt with this lab at one point or another, um, and you guys talk a lot about your, your clinics and stuff on how to read some of these soil samples and sure. that kind of thing. Yeah. Where we go into this and they, they give me a next to my, like my pounds per acre net and a for an average or M for medium or high or very high on that. In general, with those or not specifically with those, when they start talking with that, is that a specific to the average of this field, or is that with what their recommendations would be as far as what they see on an average with their their all their testing? Okay, so this and and I'll just say it for our listeners. He's got soil tests here from Waters Labs, but I don't care what lab it is. If they put ratings like that, high, medium, low, generally speaking, they're doing that ac- across everything. So I'm I'm just trying to say they set certain pounds per acre and doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just, all right, well, we found 200 pounds of phosphorus. That's high. And whatever their, their, their reading is, doesn't matter what crop you're raising, what your yield goal is, anything else. I don't know how they okay. operate in particular. I'm just saying that's what we find okay. with a lot of labs. And I don't put a lot of stock into that. I, I might put a little bit of stock into that, but I've got my own numbers I'm kind of shooting for. And here's one of the other big things. And, and I mentioned right off the bat, there's some variability. And this is, you did, you got a lot of grid points here, and that's great because you can see real fast, okay, you've got some spots where you have 136 pounds of phosphorus. And then in the very next spot, you've got 53 pounds of phosphorus. So when I start looking at that, I go, whoa, okay, I've got areas that need a lot 
and other areas that don't. So this can really help a guy, especially in a year like the last couple, three, where times have been kind of tough on the farm. You got some spots where you don't have to put a lot of fertility out there and some other spots that really need it. So put your dollars where they need to go. So, you know, back years ago, I wasn't necessarily a big believer in variable rate stuff, but the more and more we get down the road, I am a believer in it for two reasons. One, I can better invest my dollars in the right spots. And the other thing is I then don't overdo it in in the really high spots. So if I've already got a ridiculously high level of anything out there and I throw more out, well, all that does is ends up creating shortages in some of the other nutrients artificially. So it can actually create more problems. And I found that out firsthand on our farm. So we got to be a little bit careful about not just the low and adding more fertilizer, but also about, you know, getting way too high. And you don't have anything, you know, for phosphorus, as I would say, is way too high. I'm just saying you definitely have some areas that need more than other areas. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So good. All right. Um, I, I guess, uh, Janelle was asking about other things and such if we had here, uh, thought I'd give you, we're in Southeast Michigan, so we're kind of, oh, not far from the Detroit area, not far from, if you're big 10 fans, we're not far from the big house here at U of M. Uh, we, uh, had a real rough spring as in a lot of areas this year. Yeah. So, uh, if we followed some of the crop tour this past week, they talked a lot about that northern Ohio area, and we're kind of just north of that. We're just across the border into Michigan here with it. Um, we went from April 10th to July 9th, and we never had more than three consecutive days without rain in that time frame. So it was a real challenging spring, that's for certain. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, that makes it tough. So how much prevent plant was there in your area? Um, right here and right to the south and east of us, a lot. Uh, I can't tell you percentages or what. There's pockets, and it's like that, you know, there'll be a pocket where, you know, the guy got in and got, probably 90% of this stuff in. And the next one, you know, there'll be a pocket here where there's hardly anything done. Um, you get a little bit west of us and the ground gets lighter. Those guys got in, were able to get in on some of that, got a lot of stuff in. But it's looking pretty rough right now. We're, we've had some drought stress here. Um, just the last week or so, we've had started to get some more rain. Um, and it's starting to come back in. Um, hopefully it's not too far gone for some of the stuff, but even the silage corn and that is, they're going to be short on tonnage in this area this year. It's, it's short. The, yeah. the, the corn's not real tall. Um, if you didn't know what day it was and you looked at it, you'd say the corn looked pretty good if it was the middle of July yep. instead of the middle of August. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. Same yep. thing here. So, yep. Absolutely. So, How much tile is there in your area? Are more guys putting tile in after another wet year like this? Yeah. Um, in fact, that's one of the things we're working on right now. We had quite a bit of prevent plant on ours. Uh, we've got, uh, they've been up this week working on putting a new main in. Um, we've been working on trying to finish up some second cutting, fixing fences for some of this cover crop ground that we're going to start pasturing here in another 10 days or so, um, you know, trying to get planner and everything calibrated for the wheat. So 
but yeah, there's there's uh, right in my half a mile from the main farm here. There's at least two or three tile jobs going right now. Um, adding, you know, guys are adding in, trying to finish up what they've been doing the last couple of years. Um, trying to get a tile guy lined up right now is pretty backed up. Yeah. So, yep, yep. Yeah, we so. we bought our own tile plow in 2007, and it's one of the best things we ever bought on the farm. So we got tile in every field now, and we didn't have any prevent plant. If we went to had tile out there, it would have been really, really bad. So it was it was night and day difference, and you can go just right across the road where guys didn't have tile. Um, they didn't get anything in where we have we were able to plant. We're going to have 250 bushel corn. It's just unbelievable what that's been able to do for us. Yeah. Oh, it makes all the difference in the world. Like I say, some of this that we've got is older clay tile that's pretty shallow. Sure. Probably needs updated on that. Some yep. of the other farms have got, you know, have been updated as we've gone along. And again, like we're working on some of that right now. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. Whether it's so. good or bad in South Dakota, there wasn't a whole lot of tile in prior to us starting tiling. We found tile, I think, in one other field, uh, really old clay tile from about 100 years ago. But we didn't have a lot of fix up or anything else. It was just putting it in uh, from scratch. So we could do it the way we wanted to do it. And, you know, with modern technology now, we could use GPS and automatic controls in the tile plow and just really get it in fast and accurately. Hey, uh, John, thanks a lot have for you calling guys in. Ever dealt oh, go ahead. With, have you guys ever dealt with any of the tile where you work with like subsurface irrigation and structures as you're putting it in? Well, we don't do much of that here because we go so shallow with the tile lines. We're running about three feet deep. And, you know, mm -hmm. the way I phrase it to guys, in the middle of those lines, you think about if they're 50 feet apart, let's say, then the water table is probably only two, two and a half feet deep. Well, do I really want to back that up? I really don't. But yes, there are guys that have done that, use it for irrigation, and it absolutely can work. Well, hey, John, thanks for the call today. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. 
Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We farm millions of acres across North America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers, for farmers. Case IH, rethink productivity. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844 44 Ag PhD. But we haven't gotten an update from Georgia yet. We've got John from Georgia with us right now. John, how's it going? Going pretty good. How's it going, y'all? We're doing well. We're doing well. Are you still getting the heat down there in dry conditions? Oh, well, up here in the mountains, we're not too dry, not too wet either. But we've had, we've had a fair amount of rain. Uh, you know, less, it's kind of dry for about a week or so. Okay. Uh, tell us what's going on on your farm. Well, uh, because of late frost and a lot of winter, a lot of rain and everything like this, I didn't put, the only thing I put out was about, uh, 50 tomato plants. That was about it. I turned my focus to my orchards and so... Uh, I've had one of the best uh, grape crops that I've had in several years, and that's been a blessing. Also, if I could figure out some way to beat the frost, I'd have a lot better yield on my uh, other orchards. But as I told you in my email, I also um, we also do a lot of uh, rehab work with uh, deer ponds. Yeah, that's interesting. So it takes up a lot of our time. Yeah, but I would imagine that's been quite rewarding. Well, uh, it is. The reward is that you take an animal that either has no mama or has uh, been abandoned or orphaned or injured, and you care for that animal, and you see it thrive, and then you can return it back to the wild. That's our goal. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Okay, t- tell me about the orchard too. Uh, you said you need to beat frost, and specifically, which which uh, which kind of trees have you got? Well, I've got some pear trees, uh, apple trees. Uh, not a lot, but you know, I'm just small. I'm not a big guy. Sure, by any means. Uh, 
But, uh, yeah, I've really gotten the yield up on most of that, but uh, get real good bloom and bloom set on my orchards. But then along comes uh, a late frost, you know. it's Here in the mountains, we usually get, uh, we can get frost clear up into uh, mid-May. Okay. So, and that's all it takes to, to knock out your, uh, right. a lot of your orchard. Yep. Yep. Totally get that. Uh, I, I took, uh, you know, I, I took y'all's advice. I hear y'all talk about soil samples a lot. Sure. And frankly, a lot of my orchard, especially my grapes, were not doing very well at all. For the last few years, I've actually lost some of my grapevines and stuff. And so uh, I had been putting lime around them because when I first set them out, the egg man told me, he said, now when you put lime around your grapevines, be sure that it doesn't migrate down to your blueberries. So um, I was doing that, but then my plants just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So I pulled a soil sample, and lo, lo and behold, I mean, <laughs> oh, there was no pH in the soil. I mean, it's a wonder they were alive at all. So I went to work last spring, uh, early last spring, with uh, getting some sulfur, uh, working around and stuff like that. Plants did better during the summer, and uh, they have done very well. I pulled, I pulled soil samples on all of my uh, orchard, which, you know, I guess big orchard growers do that. I don't know. Uh, but, the, you know, little people we don't that don't have a lot, just kind of mostly do it for yourself. Uh, soil samples for orchard stuff may not be something you think about. So, But uh, it, it really has paid off for me. That's awesome, John. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. It's it's really neat, and I love talking about soils because no matter what we're growing or where we're at, we've all got that in common. If we're utilizing the soil to, to raise our livestock, to raise our crops, we can make some changes there that can really impact the environment and impact our profitability and success as well. Hey, John, we're going to let you run, but thank you so much. Really appreciate hearing from you, and uh, and good luck with everything you got going on there. All right, thank you. You bet. One little last word uh, in doing the uh, deer rehab that we do. Oh, sure. Uh, that's simply a voluntary thing, and uh, but it, what I wanted to say about that is that I've been doing this 16 years, and every year I see I see something new in the animals that I've not seen before. So, you know, it's always a learning process. It's always rewarding and see something that you haven't seen before and managed to your veterinarian may not know but you keep working with it to finally finally figure it out and it's very rewarding to do that yeah i think i think it's rewarding i think it's fun too i think it's really fun to learn and especially when it's something with nature there's yeah there's always so much more that that we need to know no doubt about that awesome well thank you so much john really appreciate it all right thank you sir you bet uh, Brad, stick back into the Ag PhD mailbag here. We got got just a ton of questions. This one's from Josh in Central Iowa. He said, "I've got a field with a poor stand of corn, way overdue for tiling, and this is the year we're going to get it done." So, I got a few questions. 
after we're done tiling here, let me read all these questions and then you can hit it. Should we leave the tile or the soil surface alone where that dirt mound is over where we laid the tile? Uh, should we let it settle naturally or do fall tillage uh, this fall? Should we blade it off after a few weeks to kind of level things off? Uh, do we need to do deep tillage because I'm worried the, the tile plow may have uh, made a little bit of compaction in certain areas? And then what do you think about possibly even sowing some oats or something to, to grow out there for the rest of whatever season we've got left here instead of just leaving a bare spot? Okay, so first of all, in terms of that trench there, we usually don't suggest doing much with it for quite a while if you can. Now, if you have to, you have to. But the problem is if you get it leveled out now, you're going to have a little bit of a sinkhole come spring or next summer. So if you can let stuff just kind of filter back in naturally, we've found that to be the best. But, you know, whenever you have to go over it, you're just going to have to go over it. In, in terms of using a blade, we've done that kind of stuff. A lot of times we just kind of drive back on each side and call it good. Uh, so, yeah, lots of ways to handle that. But I'd let it sit as long as you can, and then it'll kind of settle back down. In terms of deep tillage, no, we don't typically recommend that immediately afterwards. Maybe next year or something if you feel like you need to. But usually it's not a big problem. And then in terms of throwing a cover crop in, yes, we do suggest you put a cover crop in rather than keep it black out there if you want to raise the best crop possible next year. Awesome. Thanks a lot, and uh, and good luck with the tiling, Josh. It's a great idea in some of these tough spots out in fields, no doubt about it. Got a question uh, from Adam. He's an agronomist over in Minnesota, and he said, I had a, a customer that I work with put on some pyrethroid insecticide that had green clover worms on the field. And normally, these worms have been pretty easy to kill. However, we didn't do a good job, and I'm just wondering, uh, when he sprayed, it was a very hot day. Would a hot day make it tough for pyrethroids to work, or is there starting to be some building tolerance to pyrethroids within green clover worms or other bugs? You know, some people have talked about that for years, that in the heat, it's a problem. We've never had an issue killing bugs on our farm. I, I, I So... I don't know. And we had a few green clover worms out there this year, too. Now, granted, we had more thistle caterpillars, stink bugs, a number of other bugs. But anyway, yes, it's possible that the heat could have done it. The other thing we often find is that people are using reduced rates rather than the full rate. So just make sure that the full rate was actually being used. And then is it possible that there is some tolerance? It is certainly possible. You know, we've used a lot of pyrethroids over the last 20 years. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of people now are using mixtures. Let's say you've got a, uh, a mixture of a an organophosphate like Lorsban together with pyrethroid. Well, now you got two modes of action, two different products in there that could control bugs. So that could be a decent way to go in the future. All right. Thanks for the question, Adam. Get one from Jeremy in Indiana. He said, I had sprayed dicamba on some late planted beans at around V2 and I had leaf droop. Uh, even a few days after they were still droopy. Have you guys seen this? I sprayed 16 ounces of dicamba and I used crop oil and Roundup Power Max as well. Yes, we have seen that, especially when you start combining things in with it, like the crop oil. Uh, usually the, the leaves are going to come they're, they're going to be fine, generally speaking, in a day or two. If you're still seeing it two, three days later, you know, the other thing I would think about is, are we sure the tank was cleaned up perfectly? Was there something else in there that wasn't supposed to be? Thanks for the question, Jeremy. Really appreciate that. Thanks to every one of you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. 
Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.